Good morning, ladies. Welcome to our weekly Amuna Shir. This morning's uh, Shir is sponsored by Alegrina Ben Smian and Joseph Ben Smian, known affectionately as JB, in commemoration of the Eretzite of her beloved husband, his beloved father, David Ben Smian. Allah Vashalom, his neshama, should have an aliyah through the Torah that we will learn. If you have not yet uh, taken on a week to sponsor, please do so. You can contact Linda in the office, and it goes in the, uh, in the email, and obviously on the recording. And the learning is uh, in honor and memory of that person. So please, if you've not yet sponsored, please take a week to sponsor. Also, before we uh, delve back into the Nesiva Shalom, two uh, announcements, two reminders. Number one is that this Sunday, the annual Amazing Women's Health and Halacha Day and luncheon will be taking place. Uh, this year's schedule is even better than ever. Grateful to uh, Shira Menser, who's one of the uh, co-chairs with Diane Sakaku and Lori Landa. You have flyers in front of you. It has a schedule. You see that there are 12 classes, uh, something for everyone on every topic. There's an opening breakfast, a great luncheon, honoring three special people afterwards. Um, again, space is filling up. You don't want to miss out. It's going to be an amazing, amazing day. If you've not yet registered, please do so. And lastly, our seminar with Dr. John Gottman on exploring relationships, how to make relationships work. Uh, John Gottman is the undisputed, uh, recognized authority on marriage around the world. He is uh, recognized, quoted, admired. Just Google his name, you'll see everything about him. It's incredible that we are actually uh, able to host him personally. It's on Sunday, January 28th. And to tell you how amazing it is, by the end of November, 300 people have already signed up and paid. Which means that if you want a seat, you better do it soon because we're going to run out of room. It's an absolutely incredible opportunity and really unusual opportunity. So please take these flyers, register for both before you get closed out. Nesiva Shalom, we are on page Samachai, Maimarei called Yisodi Torah. We are in the middle of the chapter about Dveikus. And again, we've been divining. I've been mentioning this every week. I've been mentioning this every week that Emuna is, Emuna is the philosophical, theoretical knowledge that there is a God, a creator of the universe, that we don't exist randomly, that we didn't come into being out of nowhere. We believe fundamentally that there's a creator, there's a first cause. Bitachon is that that first cause, that creator, didn't build a world and move on, but he continues to relate to me. And therefore, all that happens in my life, I should understand, didn't happen randomly, but happened for a reason. And lastly, Dveikas. Dveikas is the knowledge that I need to cling to him, I need to attach myself to him, I have to stick with him, I have to realize that whatever I'm longing for, whatever I'm hoping for, whatever I need, whatever I received, whatever I'm grateful for, it's all from Him. So, you know, the worst thing you can do in a relationship is to neglect or to make the other party who's done something for you feel invisible. It's the worst thing. When you do something for someone, you put yourself out there for someone else and they don't acknowledge it. They don't ever say thank you. They don't ever acknowledge it. And they make you feel invisible. It's very painful. It's cruel. It's cruel of the other person. So here we are living our lives. You got out of bed this morning. Your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your legs work. You have a roof over your head and a car to drive and food to put in your mouth. And you have a heartbeat in your chest and breath in your nostrils. And if you don't say thank you, Hashem, that's unbelievable. And today, by the way, of all days, at 1 p.m. today, there'll be a historic announcement. I'm, I'm not like an insider. It's not like, you know. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything that was shared privately with me. But... One is almost, I was almost tempted this morning to say hello and davening. It is, it, is, it is a historic day. How, how long did our people yearn to uh, be validated? I mean, on the one hand, it's a historic day. On the other hand, it's a ridiculous day. There's nothing historic about telling you your mother's your mother. Like, there's nothing, you need someone else to validate you that this is your mother, your mother's your mother. 
But on the other hand, when the whole world says that that's not really your mother, she's my mother, so someone says, you know what? She's your mother. I acknowledge that. That's unbelievable. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal day. We should all have tremendous Hakar Satov, and we should die from the, from the depths of our heart that there should not be harsh consequences. Although I spoke to my daughter in Israel this morning, she told me it was cold and raining. And what terrorists would want to go out in the rain? You know, they, 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 blow, they blow themselves up on a nice day. Who wants to go out? It's already raining outside. That was her. I, I told her she should still be careful, despite that, despite that brilliant ana- analysis of the situation. She should be careful nonetheless. So it's a historic day, but we have to realize that when an incredible thing happens, when a historic moment happens, there's a karasatov to the human being, to the dignitary, to the diplomat who, who made it happen. But we can't forget the attaching ourselves to the Creator who has brought the day, right? Who took after 2,000 years of exile, brought us back to our homeland, and then in our homeland have had 70 years where we've been denied that Yerushalayim is our capital. And now, please God, please God, everything should go through and go smoothly. We have to realize where it comes from. I mentioned this morning on the Amuna WhatsApp group, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it live in person as well, that in our Parsha, at the very end of the parsha, the parsha ends when Yosef tells the Sarhamashkim, he tells the, the um, wine bearer, uh, listen, when you get out, don't forget the little guys. Don't forget me. Right? You were, you were so um, unhappy. You had such depression. You had such melancholy. I noticed how sad you were, and I asked you how you were doing, and because of that, I interpreted your dream, and that's how you're out of here. When you get out, don't forget me. So Chazal note that Yosef doesn't say once, remember me. Yosef says twice. Remember me, don't forget me, remember me. And Chazal say based on this, Yosef spent another two years in jail. Why? Because he's put his faith in man. The Saramashkim. He says to the Saramashkim, when you get out, I need you. There's no way I'm going to get out without you. So remember me. He pleads with him. And Chazal see it as excessive. He pleads with him. Don't forget me. Remember me twice. And because of that, he spent two years. Now that's the threshold. That's a bar that we're not measured by because we could never live up to that. But Yosef is Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef is the one who emuna, who shem shamayim shkura befiv. We spoke in the Parsha class yesterday that Yosef, Hashem's name is dripping from his lips. Be'ezra Hashem, Amir Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Chasta Hashem. Yosef in every conversation with Potiphar in next week's Parsha with Paro, he's always talking about Hashem. And the Shlach Kaddish says, that Hashem was with Yosef is an Ish Matzliach. Why? Because Shem Shamayim Shagur Befiv. When you talk about Hashem, Hashem is, when you invite Hashem into the room, Hashem is in the room. And things are much better when Hashem is in the room. He's closer, he's supervising, he's interceding, so he's interfering on your behalf. So the Hatzlacha, the Shla says, is directly proportional. The success directly correlates with talking about Hashem. So the Shla says, we should emulate Yosef. If you could do a weekend, Baruch Hashem, Mirzash, please God, with God's will. However you want to, whatever language you want to say it in. But we talk about, but we talk about Hashem. So Yosef is this great one who talks about Hashem. And here he fails. Because he says to the Sarah don't forget. I need you twice. So he spends two years. So Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Chaim Salavichik said, what if Yosef had only asked him once? What would have happened? If I'd asked you, and you didn't read the Amunah WhatsApp group chat yet. If I said to you, what would Yosef had only asked the Sarah please remember me when you get out. What would have been the punishment? What would you say? One year. You would have said one year. If for asking twice, he got two years. For asking once, he'd get one year. Said Reb Chaim Brisker, wrong. You know how many years he'd get? No years. Why? Because there's nothing wrong with Ishtadlis. You have to ask once because you have to show your effort. You have an opportunity. 
you have a, a opening, you have to take it, you have to walk through it. But on the other hand, you can't do it excessively. This is what we've talked about every week, is the balance. Emuna or bitachon, or dveikus, can't become a crutch. It can't become an excuse to living a passive life where you show no initiative. Where you sit on the couch and think someone's going to drop off a bag of cash at your front door. Where you get sick and you sit on the couch and you think miraculously you're going to get better. Hashem wants us to go to the doctor and He wants us to go to work and He wants us to take initiative. However, on the other hand, too much initiative, you've denied Hashem's role. So if you take too much initiative, you make it as if Hashem can't... I always give this example when it comes to the lottery. When there's a mega million, I don't know why, as if like 50 million wouldn't be enough, but when the mega millions goes up to 300, 400, half a billion dollars, I always buy a ticket. How many tickets should you buy? So on the one hand, can you win the lottery without buying a ticket? No. So you need to take initiative. As is famously said, you got to be in it to win it. So you got to buy a ticket if you're going to win. However, it's also to buy more than one ticket. Why? Because statistically, Every time I buy that ticket, which is very infrequently, but you're online and you watch people in front of you who don't have enough money to pay for the gas outside and they're spending every penny on, give me 25 tickets. And you want to grab them and tell them, like, just Google this and you'll realize that you have not improved your chances statistically. Right? The person thinks, well, if, I, if one ticket and I buy two tickets, I've doubled my chance of winning. No, you still have a point zero 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 whatever chance of winning. You haven't doubled your chance. So it's to buy two tickets is awesome. It's not more initiative because you have no more chance of winning statistically. So you, you buy one ticket because you can't win without buying one. But buying two shows that you don't think Hashem could help you win with just the one ticket, with just the one winning numbers. Last week I came late with my son to Avasubanim. So when you come late, if you come on time, you get two tickets for the raffle. And if you come late, you get one ticket. So when I got the one ticket... At first, the piece in me was like, it's true I'm late, but like, I'm the rabbi. Like, <laughs> you have no idea why I was late and what I was doing and, and that I created this program and that I would have a, like, my son, you're not going to give two tickets? And then I stopped myself and I realized two things. Number one, Adarabba, that's arrogance. Just with humility, you're no different than anyone else. You came late, you get one ticket. But then I also thought exactly this, which is, what, my shy can't win with one ticket? If Hashem wants him to win the raffle, he's going to win with the numbers on one ticket. No, he absolutely lost. And he wants to know why we never win. But the point is, the point is, it's nice to know these ideas of Amuna, Bitachon, Tveikas, and theory. I give you these examples not to try to make it like I'm some tzaddik. I, first of all, I only tell you the stories where I did the right thing. I don't tell you the stories where I blew it. But I'm telling you these stories because I'm trying to show that the challenge, my challenge, our challenge, is in real time, is in real life. So you could be sitting there stewing and now distracted from the quality learning time with your son that you barely carve out every week because you're busy stewing about, should I fire this guy? Should I, should I have a conversation with him? How am I going to tell him that like, you didn't have a lot of intelligence? Not giving... But the second you say, you know what? It's, Hashem can make him win with one ticket in a humble, I'm no different than anyone else and who cares? And get back to the learning. You have so little time, enjoy the time. So your life gets better with Amuna and Vekas. Your life is only is only something which is better. So Yosef, if he wouldn't have asked the Saramashkim, he never would have gotten out of jail because you've got to show initiative. You can't wait rely on a miracle. In some Chanalanes. But by asking twice, it was, it was excessive initiative. You can't have excessive initiative because that shows a failure and the lack of Jacob's. By the way, anyone know what day of the year it was that Yosef got out of prison? 
What day of the Jewish calendar it was? Amen. It was Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, new beginnings. How did Yosef get that new beginning? He had a fresh start and a new beginning. He got a new lease on life. He got out of prison. He got to start again. And you talk about a new lease on life. He didn't go into the, like, the witness protection program in hiding. He became the viceroy of Egypt. He became the vice president of all of Egypt. One of, if not the most powerful men. Secretary of, uh, of the economy. So uh, how did that happen? How did it happen? So commentaries point out, you know how it happened? Yosef's sitting in prison. Think about Yosef's life for a moment. He has been, um, he's been attempted murder by his brothers, turned into a sale, kidnapped and sold, sent to a foreign land. He's an immigrant in a foreign country where Jews are, are not loved. He works in a home where he brings great prosperity, but then he has the challenge of, of being seduced by a powerful woman who falsely accuses him. I mentioned yesterday in the Parsha class. This week is the inverse of last week. Last week's Parsha is a vulnerable woman, Dina, who was exploited by a powerful man, Shechem. And the challenge is, will we step up for her? Will we make a difference? This week you have an innocent man who a woman uses her sexuality to try to, um, to, try to seduce him and to try to exploit him. He overcomes it. She falsely accuses him and he suffers the consequences. It's the inverse. Last week, the woman is the victim and the community's responsibility is to stand up for her. And this week, the man is the victim and we have to forget that we also have a responsibility to protect such victims as well. Those who are the victims of women exploiting their power and victims of people making false accusations. So Yosef lands in prison and he's struggling and he's suffering and he's, I don't know, he asked me, I'd give up hope. I'd wallow in the corner by myself. I'd moan and I'd groan and I'd feel bad for myself because here I am alienated from my brothers, from my father with whom I was so close, our souls intertwined, trying to make a life for myself, succeeding and then having a fail, literally going back to a pit, just like I was in the pit before. And I'd wallow. But Yosef doesn't do that. You know what he does? He sees the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ofim. He sees two guys and they're pretty depressed. And he says, hey brothers, what's going on? Why are you so down? And that question changed his life. By not wallowing in the corner by himself, by not focusing on his own problems, but asking how he can help relieve the problem of others, he finds freedom. He finds liberty. Because asking them makes them share the dreams. He interprets the dreams. They get out. They remember him. Or Saramashkin remembers him. And that's how he gets out. So the, the Sfarim say that Yosef gains a new lease on life. His Rosh Hashanah, his new beginning. And our new beginning comes not when we wallow in the corner, woe is me for my problems, but despite my problems, I say, I want to help you with your problems. Why the long face? Why are you so sad? What's going on? How can I help you? What's, what's doing? And when Yosef does that, he gets the new, the new lease on life. So that's Tveikus. Yosef was supposed to ask the Saramashkin, remember me on your way out. He was not supposed to ask twice. On a day like today, this major historical day, we have tremendous Akar Satov, president, the cabinet, and the advisors, and all those who, who came to this very uncomfortable, and we don't yet know how uncomfortable decision. Um, but on the, on the other hand, we also have to give Hakar Satov. We give Hakar Satov on the human realm. We have to give Hakar Satov upstairs with that sense of that sense of dveikus as well. Okay, we left off on page Samachet, the bottom left corner. Again, we're still defining the mitzvah of dveikus. How do you cling to Hashem? How do you stick with Him? Yosef is a great example. Despite every one of these really hard situations, he says, I'm sticking with you, God. I'm interpreting everything that's happening as for a reason. 
So the Rambam codifies and says, "Should Sivanu leschaberim achachamim lizyachedi mahem ulahasmer b'shiva sam b'chol ofen me'ofen ha'avoda va'chaver b'machal b'nishra va'isek d'shegi lanoli damos b'maseim ulahamin ha'mitios midivrayim." Right, we referenced this several weeks ago, where we talked about the Rambam is just quoting the Gemara. Can you really cling to God? He's an Eish Ochla. He's a fire that consumes. How can you connect to the source? It's too powerful. So we connect through his agents. We connect through his emissaries, his ambassadors. When we attach ourselves to those who represent Hashem, then we, through osmosis, it becomes contagious. We are elevated, enriched through that experience. So he says, Lehis Chaber. Attach yourself to Tamidei Chachamim. Spend time with them. Consult with them. Sit with them. You should be fighting over who can host our different scholars and residents and, and Rabbanim and Rashi Yeshiva and, and Rebbe Tzintzipor Heller last weekend. Men, women, people of great Amuna. We should be fighting. I want to have them. Because, you know, Gadol Sichasan, the Sicha Betela, you know, you learn more from the casual conversation with great people than you do even from their classes. You could learn their Sefer, you could listen to the Dvar Torah, but the casual conversation, observing them in a casual moment, you learn even more, which is what the Rambam says. Eat and drink, interact, so that we can emulate, so that we have something to aspire to. I talked about not only doing this physically with, with great people, but doing it virtually by reading biographies and by watching and by listening and by attaching ourselves to these people. So the Rambam says, that's how you achieve this mitzvah. Bitachon is interpreting everything in your life through the lens that it's meant to be, that it's for the good, even when we struggle to understand it at that moment. And ubotidbak, how do you cling to God, is you cling to God's closest confidence. When you cling to God's closest confidence, that's how you get, you know, in life, there are people who are close to great people and they feel people are trying to cling to the end, right? They want to get, how do I get close to the, the, the star? How do I get close to that leader? How do I get close to that powerful person, that rich person? When I get close to the people around them. So that's what Akash Baruch Hu says. One of the ways to get close to Hashem is to get close to the people closest to Hashem. And that's how we get access and insight into Him. The, the other interpretation of Dvekos, the Rambam includes within the mitzvah of loving God. Right? The Rambam describes loving God not as like, we, we've totally abused that word love. We've totally taken all meaning away from the word love. We love the people closest to us and we use the exact same word to describe pizza or to describe our favorite song. Or to describe our favorite show. Oh, I love that song. Oh, I love that restaurant. Oh, I love that. Oh, and honey, I love you. <laughs> right? So there's no word left. We're out of words because that's supposed to be the most powerful word to describe when we love the people closest to us. And it's a genuine thing. I hate when people, you know, you hang up and say, love you. Rabbi, I love you. I never say I love you back because I don't love them. I love them. I love them. I love all Jews. I love them. But if I say I love you to a person I have a casual friendship with, what's left to say to Yecheven and my kids, my mother? What's left to say to the people who you love and you want to express that love in a different way? So the Rambam says the love you're supposed to have with Hashem is not like pizza. Ah, oh, I love pizza. And I, lo- oh, I love Hashem too. He does good things for me. Right? The love for Hashem is supposed to be... A lo- I mentioned this last week too. 
You know when that couple's dating and they finally get engaged and you can't be in a room with them because it's nauseating, you want to throw up? You know, oh, isn't he so cute? Oh, isn't she so adorable? Oh, isn't this so amazing? Isn't this so that? Aren't they so perfect? Aren't they? And you're like, I can't. You can't be near them. So the Rambam literally writes, that's the love you're supposed to have for Hashem. Like, I'm infatuated with Hashem. I am obsessed with Hashem. I adore Hashem. I can't get enough of Hashem. I'm just obsessed with Hashem. That's the love affair. That's the yearning. That's the lust. That's the infatuation we're supposed to have with Hashem. So the Slonim Rebbe is asking this question on the Rambam. The Rambam is describing loving Hashem the way we would have thought clinging to Hashem. And he's describing clinging Hashem as attaching yourself to the people close to Hashem. Why, why take it out from the simple interpretation? Simple interpretation is, clinging to Hashem is clinging to Hashem. Why did the Rambam deviate? So the Hafla asked this question. You can't fulfill clinging to Hashem yourself. It's only through an intermediary. Moshe Rabbeinu What Moshe didn't have this commandment himself. Moshe also had this commandment. Who was he supposed to cling to? Right, so every one of us has a rabbi we cling to. Who was Moshe supposed to cling to? Gam told us so the simple understanding of the mitzvah is just cling to Hashem. Why would the Rambam be reinterpreting it and taking it out of its simple meaning to suggest that clinging to Hashem is clinging to the Rambam is bothered not just that, you know, it's hard if you're not a Talmud Chacham to cling to Hashem, so do your best and, and cling to Talmud Chacham. The Rambam is saying it is almost by definition impossible. How can you cling to some, someone intangible? How can you cling to someone invisible? How can you cling to someone who is beyond anything that we can imagine? So what's the answer to achieving dveikus? It's a beautiful insight of the Salam Rebbe. The, the insight is part of the prerequisite to achieving clinging to Hashem is attaching yourself to others. It's not just that I kind of fulfill clinging to God through attaching to someone close to God. It's that I can't cling to God without attaching to others, without being part of a community, without connecting. Loneliness breeds also a distance or it closes off certain access to Hashem. Sometimes loneliness brings greater faith, right? The Rav's lonely man of faith. Sometimes you can feel lonely and alone and it reminds you that you're not alone and you're not lonely and you always have Hashem. But if you're not part of a tzibur, being part of a community is so fundamental to the Jewish people. Clinging and caring about others is so fundamental to connecting to God because where do you find God? Where does God become visible? How is God tangible? How can you physically get a hug from God? Because people are tzalem elokim. People are a piece of God in them. There is a godly soul and a godly spirit. Now some people 
there's layers and layers and layers covering that godly soul. It's really, to squeeze that God out of them would be a really tight hug. It's really hard to find. You need a magnifying glass and a telescope and uh, I don't know what, to find that godly soul in them is really hard. But there's other people that the godly soul is right on the surface. They're so special, they're so kind, they're so sweet, they're so spiritual. There's something so special about them that just being around them, you're, you're around God. So that's what he's suggesting within the Rambam. The Rambam is not saying we can't achieve the ideal, so we define the mitzvah as the secondary, which is to connect to Tamid Chavim. The Rambam is saying, even within the definition of the ideal, you cling to God, how? He's invisible. I can't touch him, I can't feel him, I can't hear him. So how do I cling to him? When can I touch him? When I see the God in other people. When I see the godly soul and the godly spirit in other people. When I see greatness. When I see that which is worthy of awe and admiration. When I see selflessness. When I see humility. When I see kindness. When I see all the values that God stands for, the things that are really the expression of a godly soul in others, I'm seeing God. I see the God in you. I'm seeing God. So how do I achieve ubo tidbak? How do I cling to God? By clinging to the God in others. So even the Talmud Chacham can't connect to the God in themselves. If they're trying to access a relationship with God, it's not to the God in their own Salam al What are they going to look in the mirror and say, oh, the good in you I connect with? It doesn't work. Even they have to find a Talmud Chacham. And again, we're using the word Talmud Chacham broadly here, not as how many Dape Gemara you know by heart, but men or women, righteous people who are emissaries and ambassadors of Hashem in this world. One of the commentaries in the Rambam called the Kiryat Sefer. We should attach our thoughts to Hashem in all moments. When we're eating, Hashem is in this cup of water. Hashem has provided the environment, the, uh, what's it called? The ambiance. That everything, even the ambiance, is, is created by Hashem's word. When I eat, when I drink, when I sleep, when I'm watching football, when I'm, when I'm going for a walk, when I'm experiencing recreation, in everything I do, it's measured by, do I seek God in this? How can I be greater from this? How can I elevate myself through this experience? How can I ever get to a point that I can see Hashem in the cup of water, in the sky, in the lake, in the traffic light, in the conversation, in the everything. How do I see Hashem in that? So the answer is, if I can't see Hashem in you, I'll never see Him in the cup of coffee. If I can't see Hashem in a person through whom Hashem is expressed more clearly, more boldly than anything else, then I'll never come to see Him in the cup of coffee. And that's why the Rambam creates the definition of Dveikas in this order and according to that hierarchy. Why? Because I have to learn, train myself to see the Hashem. It's really a beautiful, it kind of connects to the drush I gave a couple weeks ago, that our mission in life is to be angels. We look for angels that come from heaven. 
But angels are born here on earth. And there are angels on earth all around us. And it's all a question of who we focus on, who we see. You could see, you know, the Isfarf, miserable, low-life, complaining, negative, terrible people, of which there are no shortage of them, everywhere, right? Interacting with us all the time. Just this morning, someone was complaining to me about an experience at the supermarket and at the checkout and how that... And, and you're right, there's terrible people on every checkout. You could look at the negative experience. On every checkout, you can see the positive people. There are people all around us that you have access to seeing God. There are great people, selfless, kind, good, good-hearted people, peace-loving people, sensitive people, spiritual people who are amazing, who you feel better about yourself when you walk away from that experience with them. I love being around those people who have a moon and bitachon. I love being around the people who have miserable lives and they're the happiest people. Because how could you complain? Because they found a way to say that whatever I'm going through is meant to be. It's not going to define me. I can find happiness in it. And that's amazing. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So that's how do you achieve dveikas? How do you cling to Hashem? Cling to the Hashem in other people. Find it. Identify it. Articulate it. And cling to it. You know, we have a choice. We could surround ourselves by the people who bring us down. We could surround ourselves by the people who make us feel worse about ourselves. We could surround ourselves by the people who, who are obstacles to our becoming the best version of ourselves. Or we can sit and calculate who are the people that bring the most out of us. I have a learning group, um, a group of guys, business leaders, and we learn together and we discuss business issues together. So we were talking about this week how many create end of the year, end of the Gregorian calendar year, they set aside time to evaluate the year and to set goals for the next year. And how do you do that? And what does it look doing like that? And so on. And one of them shared something very interesting. He said, he actually takes his entire calendar of the previous year and looks over the whole calendar. And not every second of every day, but you know, the big things. How many trips did he take? And in the coming year, does he want to take the same or less or more trips? How does that balance with everything else he has to do? What were the social experiences he had? Does he want more or did he want less? So he said, one of the things that he does, I thought this was fascinating, is when he talks about like, his friends, who did he go out for dinner with? This is actually not an observant person. We, we might measure it by like, reviewing who our Shabbos meals were, who our Shabbos invitations were. Right? That, that's a tremendous cheshbon nefesh To look back at the last year of Shabbos and say, who did I invite? Only my friends or even people who needed meals? Within the friends, the friends that the Shabbos meals became places of divrei Torah and chesed and I walked away having talked about ideas and better person? Or did I walk away talking about people? And when he looks at his calendar and he looks at these relationships and he looks at who he went out to dinner with, he says, who helped me become better this year and who held me back? Because those who held me back, I'm not going out for dinner with next year. Life is too short and my goals are too big and important to be weighed down and held back by the people who are negative influences. Now you've got to do that in a very sensitive and elegant fashion, right? First of all, I'm waiting to see whether I get invited out to dinner with him next year. I don't know if I make the cut, where, where I fall in the chain, but because you can't you know, ditch unceremoniously, simply cast aside the people who don't make you better because they also need your positive influence. What will their lives look like if you cold turkey, end the friendship, pull away, tell them you want nothing to do with them. So I'm advocating you have to do it sensitively and carefully. However, what a brilliant and beautiful idea that a person says, I have goals in life. They're not only measured by a profit margin and a revenue, my income, how I did this year. They're measured by, am I becoming a better version of me? 
Am I becoming a better person? Am I a better version of myself? Have I grown this year? What are the things that propelled me forward and what are the obstacles that stood in my path? And in the coming year, this is really an Elul Rosh Hashanah conversation, but we happen to be heading towards the secular new year. But in the coming year, I want more of the things that propelled me forward and I'm going to cut out and have less of the things that held me back. That could include hobbies and experiences. You could review your calendar and say, wow, I played so much golf. If you add up how many hours I spent on that, and I claim I don't have time to read a book, that was ridiculous, right? Or you could look and say, you know what, golf was where I had breakthrough moments and ideas and I had the serenity that I needed because I wasn't taking time for myself and I need more golf. I'm not adding a label or a judgment on any of the activities. It could be people, it could be activities, but the notion that, and this is what, what the Salonim Rebbe is suggesting to us, Dveka, seeing Hashem on the golf course and the books you read and who you go out to dinner with is... The people who the Tzalem Elohim is buried under many layers, I don't know that I want to build that friendship. And the people that it's right on the surface, that's who I want to hang out with. Because we are, we are a product of, of, uh, of who we hang out with. The Rambam says it very clearly in Hilchus Deus. Choose where you live very carefully because you are a product of who you hang out with. I actually just saw this quote from Secular Research also that said basically, you are a combination of the four people you spend the most time with. That's what it said. You are the combination of the four people you spend the most time with. I don't know how you measure that and how accurate it is. But there is no question that we are a product of who we're with. We all know that being with different people brings out different sides of us. So which side of us is the real us? Which side of us do we want to see more? And that should determine who we want to hang out with. But this idea that you, living in Muna Bitachon, right, to conclude, living in Muna Bitachon is not just and Dvekas, is not just about seeing Hashem, you know, the, in the sky, the distant, almighty creator, omnipotent providence. It's not just about the God up there. Emunah B'tachon Tvekos is about seeing God in the angels born on earth. It's making the choice. Just like seeing God, just like the Emunah B'tachon of Hashem upstairs is all about the choice you make. Do I want to interpret this event as random and chance? Or do I want to interpret this event as being, as being by design? That's a choice I have. So too, I can walk around the world and say, there's miserable, terrible, negative people, or wow, look at the Tzalem Elohim in that person. Look at the godliness that they just displayed in that amazingly selfless act that they just did. Such and such donated their kidney. So and so, there's, there's incredible Tzalem Elohim all around us. So part of the way when our faith is suffering, when we're struggling, is not only to talk about the big picture amuna, the macro amuna, but it's to also work on the micro amuna, to work on the amuna of finding exceptional people and attaching ourselves to them, realizing they're extraordinary people and being able to ride their coattails of their faith. You know the story, the great story of the, of the Lujava Rebbe? I've used this in a Yizkir Drusha. This is the great story where um, the Nazis at one point rounded up a group of Jews and challenged them. They had to jump over this enormous cavern and, and if they made it to the other side, they would live. And if they didn't, they would fall to their death. And this, this individual who was with the Blue Javareba, an individual who had previously been religious but had given up his faith in the concentration camp, said to the Blue Javareba, I have no idea how I'm going to get to the other side, how we're going to do it. And the Blue Javareba um, said, you know, I'm butchering the story because I didn't read it recently, but we're going to be able to do it. And the Blue Javareba, you know, runs and jumps and makes it to the other side. 
and right behind him comes this, this other individual. And he says to the Blizzard of Rebbe, how did you do it? That was an impossible jump, we're weak. How did you do it? He said, because I pictured my ancestors, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Gorachal, and Leah. I pictured my grandparents and my parents, and I grabbed onto them, and they carried me to the other side. And he turned to him and he said, but how did you do it? How did you? You don't believe anymore. You've walked away. How did you get to the other side? And he said, Rebbe, I grabbed onto you. So that story, which is so much better than the way I just said it, that story is, is exactly another form of dvekas. Sometimes, right, like that individual, when you have trouble seeing Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, when you have trouble grabbing onto the heritage and the religion and the theology and the highfalutin terminology and the omnipotent God, but you grab onto the blush of a Rebbe. You grab onto the great people around you, the Tzelem Elohim around you, whether it's the stories like that of the Blizz of a Rebbe. I'm reading this book on the Kleisenberger Rebbe, among the ten books I'm in the middle of. When I say reading means, like, <laughs> at a pace that, whatever. But read these books. Read these great individuals. We've talked about this. Henny Machlis and the Rebbe Kanievsky and, and the Kleisenberger Rebbe and the Blizz of a Rebbe. And th- there's incredible books, the, the many books that came out about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. You read these books, you get goosebumps and you're on fire. You're grabbing onto them as they jump and carry us with them. Even when I'm not ready to sit down and learn Mesilas Hashem and Asiva Shalom, I'm not ready to hear the Rambam describe Avas Hashem and Yeras Hashem. I just don't see that. Sometimes the breakthrough is to see the great Ubotid Bak. The, the Dveikas comes by attaching ourselves to the Tzalem Elohim within great people. Within great people. And when we do, please God, we'll make it to the other side. Have a great day.